Welcome to the Grand Point Church Podcast. We're a church serving the South Central Pennsylvania area with a mission to help as many people as possible take their next steps to find and follow Jesus. If you aren't already, make sure to connect with us online through social media or at grandpoint.church and let us know how God is moving in your life. Now, let's check out this week's message from Pastor Lawrence. Well, welcome back to our series called Teach Us to Pray, and I think you've uh, probably figured out by now we have kind of a theme running through this morning, and it's, it's, it's children, right? So our kids opened the service by singing this morning. Did they do a great job? Kids did a great job this morning. Uh, next, uh, last night we had, uh, we had a family dedicate two of their children. Uh, next hour we have three families dedicating their children uh, to the Lord this morning. And we just got done singing a song saying, I am a child of God. Now listen, this is all good. This reminder is good because you will never, never understand the Lord's prayer until you come and pray it as a child to your father. In fact, that is exactly why when Jesus taught us to pray, he said, this is how you ought to pray. And the very first thing that he said was pray our Father, which art in heaven. So that puts us in a relationship uh, as children to a father. How many of you remember being asked the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? Anybody remember uh, being asked that? Now, you might have to think back a little bit. The last time I was asked that question, other than Penny asking me that almost every day, right? Was I was 35, 35 years old. I was laying in a hospital bed at Baylor University Oncology Center getting a radiation treatment, and my nurse was just sitting there working through the treatment together, and she just looked at me and said, so, what do you want to be when you grow up? Now, I'm 35 years old. I was a little bit offended at that time because I'm a 35-year-old man. I'm already married. I already have three kids. I have a career. I am grown up. Right? I am grown up. I am a man. So for her to ask me that question was a little bit offensive. But here's what I want to say to all of you this morning. When we're walking through, the sooner that we get over um, our, when it comes to our relationship with God, right? God is our father. We as his children. The sooner we get over our big selves and our self-sufficiency and come before our heavenly father as a dependent child, the better off we are the better off we are. See, we're never too grown up to be a child of God. Now, next Sunday, we're going to end this series on the Lord's Prayer uh, with that phrase, for thine is the kingdom, thine is the power, and thine is the glory. What we're establishing is the fact that there is, uh, that, that we are in full submission or absolute submission to a king of a kingdom other than ours. This life is not about us. It's not about our little world. It's not about our little kingdom. It's also a reminder that we live in the power of someone greater than us. It also is a reminder that we live for the glory of another. Listen, our commitment is to a much different kingdom than the kingdom of this world. Now, I'm going to give you a little spoiler for next week's message because we're on the fast track right now to a presidential election, right? And so next Sunday, I'm going to take some time to prepare us for the election week and talk to you a little bit about that. But let me give you a little spoiler for next week's message. See, as God's people in this world, we are first and foremost people of the gospel. And that means that we are always going to be a place in a place of moral and personal tension when it comes to whether or not we're going to support a particular candidate or a particular party. 
We're always going to be in that tension because the king of the kingdom that we are a part of is completely different than the kingdom of this world, right? Completely different. We'll talk more about that next week, but it establishes the relationship that you and I need to be aware of when it comes to this thing called prayer. We come before our God as dependent children, appealing to the king of a completely different kingdom than ours. A kingdom that that is so far different. Now, the next to last phrase of the Lord's Prayer is a petition from Satan where we say, Our Father which art in heaven, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil one. Now, we might be sitting here thinking this morning, do we even need to pray that? I mean, does this God, this great God that we serve, does he lead us into temptation? Why do we even need to pray this? In fact, isn't there even a verse in the Bible that says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me? Because God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Well, if God does not tempt us, then why do we pray, lead us not into temptation? Listen, this is a great time to remind ourselves that every part of the Lord's Prayer is a part of the whole. And when you pray the Lord's Prayer, you can't take each phrase individually. You have to look at it in connection with the whole. This is a prayer for those who are already saying, our Father in heaven. We're already established the fact that we're children appealing to a heavenly father. This is a prayer for children who have already talked to their father about provision for today, our daily bread. This is a prayer for those that have already talked to their father about pardon, about forgiveness for their sins, forgive us our debtors. So this next phrase, lead us not into temptation, is simply a continuation of all these things that a child is asking their father for. So this might be best understood with a simple illustration. Imagine in your minds a father uh, and a little boy just walking down the street. The street is very icy, by the way, and it's very treacherous. So the father says to the boy, listen, I want you to be very, very careful because the street is icy, right? And I don't want you to slip and fall. But the little guy, of course, thinks he's got this. He's got this. Furthermore, he's too excited to slow down, so he starts running down the street, down the sidewalk. He hits the first patch of ice, his feet go up, and his bottom goes down. Right? The father comes along, and as all good fathers do, he reaches down and helps his son up. And the little guy looks at his daddy and says, Daddy, I'm sorry that I didn't listen to your warnings. I'm sorry that I didn't listen to you. And then he takes his little hand, and he reaches up, and grabs his daddy's big hand and he says, Daddy, would you please keep me from the slippery spots? Keep me from falling again. That's what's happening right here in the Lord's Prayer. That's what we're doing when we're saying, Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We're placing our little hands into the hand of a big heavenly Father and asking him to keep us from slipping, to keep us from falling. And of course, the father's willing to comply, and he's certainly capable to do so. Psalm 73 is our text for this morning, and it's a psalm written by Asaph. Asaph is a choir director. Most of the psalms in the Bible are written by David, but this one is written by uh, by Asaph. He's a choir director. He's a worship leader. I would have never thought that worship leaders have these kind of thoughts, but he's being extremely vulnerable and transparent as he writes this. Today's scripture reading is read by Rose and Elisa, so hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 73. Psalm 73, verses 
1 through 3. God is indeed good to Israel, to the pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost slipped, my steps nearly went astray. For I envied the arrogant, I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Psalm 73, 13 through 26. All in vain I have kept my hands clean, and I washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like one walking from a dream, Lord, when I when arising, you will despise their image. When I became embittered and my innermost being was wounded, I was stupid and didn't understand. I was an unthinking animal towards you, yet I am always with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward, afterward you will take me up in glory. Who do I have in heaven but you, and I desire nothing on earth but you? My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. Amen. Now, I'm going to take that text, and we're going to work through that a little bit so that you understand uh, what was read here, but it's really uh, to focus in on some temptations that we face. Here at Grand Point Church, we sometimes remind ourselves on staff that we're all just one decision away from stupid, right? And we, we do. One decision, one wrong decision, and we can ruin our credibility. One, one wrong decision, we can hurt the body of Christ. One wrong decision that we make in life and yield into a temptation can bring us down. It can cause us to fall. So what I want to do this morning, I just want us to leave this place today knowing, knowing that there is a way to stand firm to stand up to the temptations that come at us. There are two ways to look at temptation. Number one is there is this, there's something inside of us, right? There's this evil inside of us that sometimes just causes us to think all kinds of crazy things and causes us to do things. Temptation comes from within, but temptation also comes from without. It might be a circumstance that we're faced with. It might be the invitation of someone that invites us to do something. So temptation comes from within and comes from without. It comes from all of these different directions. And therefore, what the Bible is teaching us is that we are to pray. We are to watch and pray so that we do not fall into temptation. In fact, Jesus even said this to his disciples one time in, in Mark chapter 14, verse 38. They're out there in this garden, and it's the night before Jesus was crucified, before he went to the cross. And he brought a few of his close friends with him, and he said, listen, I want you guys to watch and pray with me. And he said that, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. In other words, there are times that we want to do the right thing, but there's something about our flesh, something, something in us that just causes us to yield to these temptations. Well, the disciples that night did not pray, right? They fell asleep. And they entered into a temptation, and because of their lack of watchfulness, they fell into this terrible, avoidable sin. In other words, if only they would have strengthened themselves with prayer, they could have held fast. Here's something I want you to take with you this morning. This is a truth for every single one of us to grasp, and that is, those who do not pray against temptation cannot expect to endure it. 
Those who do not pray against temptation cannot expect to endure it. And that's why it's important to pray up because to pray, to, to pray before temptation kicks in. Because here's what happens. If you do not pray, right, the devil, he's like this, he's like this lion that, that prowls looking to destroy someone. He will come at you and tempt you, and very few people enter into a time of prayer in the middle of temptation because it's usually too late. At that moment, you're already into it. Satan's already got you. You're already on your road, on the road to sin, and that's why it's important to pray before So we prepare ourselves to endure and resist temptation through watchfulness and self-examination, which involves knowing our sinful inclinations and how we have succumbed to temptations in the past. Peter warns, this is the the verse I was talking about. Peter warns in 1 Peter 5 verse 8, be alert and sober-minded because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So to maintain watchfulness, to make sure that we can resist a temptation or recognize temptation when it comes, we must first know our individual inclinations to sin. What is it that trips us up? What is it that causes us to give in or to slip and to stumble? Well, such self-knowledge comes from looking deep within because sin does not begin with our actions, it begins with our heart. In fact, Jesus even said in Matthew chapter 15, verse 19, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander, and we could name every sin that there is, it begins in the heart. And that's because the heart is the seat of our emotions and our desires. It's our spiritual control center. And it's from the heart that sin springs up. It's not something that you just decide, it's not something that just happens, it's something that happens in your heart for what the heart desires, the hands soon perform. So everything begins in the heart. That's why it's important for you and I to guard our hearts so that we, we don't fall into these sins. So when we're looking at resisting temptation, we go right to the source. That's why I'm using this text from Psalm 73 for this message Uh, shows some very real temptations that come at us. Now, we all know about the obvious temptations to avoid. There are these overt temptations, right, to embezzle from your employer, perhaps, or to hurt someone or to cheat on your spouse. But there are others that are more subtle and more common and yet are just as harmful to our lives. I want to talk about two that show up in this text, and then I want to show you a turning point. A turning point that happened in the life of Asaph and a turning point that can happen in every one of our lives. But number one is this, beware of the temptation to compare yourself to other people. See, sometimes we do this. We, 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 we kind of look at others and we, we, we would like to be like them or we compare ourselves and we're not like them. In Psalm 73, Asaph says this. It begins in verse 1 and says, surely. Now, when the word surely is used in the Bible, it's a word of certainty. Most definitely, absolutely certain, God is good to Israel. God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Now watch this. Asaph says, but as for me, my feet almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold. In the Bible, to lose your foothold is a pretty serious thing. It means losing your ground, losing your position, and it might result in falling. There's this little mountain in Colorado Springs called Pulpit Rock. 
And so when Penny and I were vacationing there, uh, you know, Penny said, I think, you, I think we need to climb up there and you need to get your picture taken at Pulpit Rock. I mean, that's what every preacher wants to do, right? <laughs> Not this one. Not this one, because this, this, first of all, there's a, there's a sign that says, as you enter the trail, beware of rattlesnakes. That's my first clue, that this may not be a good thing. And then we get up to this, but we did it, we, we get up to the very top of this mountain, and it was just like pure rock with complete drop-offs, and right in the middle, or very close to the edge, was this rock formation that looked like a pulpit. Well, that's where I was supposed to go to get my picture taken. I'm telling you what, I was scared to death. I don't like heights, but I was scared to death because one slip of my foot, one lo- loose of, of my foothold, and I'm, I'm gone. That's exactly what this writer says here in Psalm. If, if I almost slipped, I almost lost my foothold. And that's what's happening to Asaph. Because, verse 3 said, I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now, for the sake of brevity, I did not have the, the, the girls read all of this passage this morning, verses 4 to 12 in this text. But Asaph is looking at everyone else, right? He's looking around at everyone else referred to as the wicked, and they're just living life. They're just out there living life, and he envies them. He's like, man, they're prosperous. They've got great bodies. They have no struggles, no burdens, no ills. Man, they're just living carefree lives and they're amassing this great wealth. He's looking at everyone. You know what envy is? Envy is wanting someone else's life. It's looking at someone else and and you're thinking, somehow you're thinking, man, they've got it. I want to be like that. I want to have what they have. I want to do what they do. I want to look like them. Right? That's envy. And here's what envy does. Envy sucks the joy out of the life that you actually have. It undermines your ability to live your life well. Because now you're focusing on him, you're focusing on her, and you end up being very cynical, you end up being very judgmental, and you become a very miserable person. That's what it means to lose your foothold. And beware of the temptation to compare yourself to other people. That's what Asaph was doing. The second temptation to avoid that shows up in his life is the temptation to think that God should be serving you. Beware of the temptation to think that God should be serving you. Now, when Asaph begins this psalm, let me go back to verse 1. He says, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Now, if you jump all the way down to verse 13, it says the second time, he says, surely, most certainly, in vain. In vain, I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long, I've been afflicted and every morning brings new punishment. Now, there's a little bit of irony between verse 1 and between verse 13. See, Asaph is convinced that God blesses those who are pure in heart. But then he says, but I've been pure in heart. Man, I've been living a good life, but I'm not being blessed. Uh, Things aren't going right for me. I'm doing all the right things. I'm living in the right way. I'm going to church every week. I'm doing good. I'm putting money in the offering. And life is still hard for me. Now, we don't know what's happening in his life, but in essence, he's saying, God, why are you letting this happen? All of this heart stuff, like keeping my heart right and doing right, it's not working. I've been doing all that, and still life is not working out for me. You you see what he's doing? He's saying, listen, God, if I'm living this way, if I'm doing everything right, then you ought to be blessing me. You ought to be bringing good things into my life. 
Beware of the motivation for following Jesus Christ because if you're following Jesus Christ just to get something from him, just to get his blessing, it might be the wrong motivation. Listen, it's all in vain, he says. I've been living this good life and it's all in vain. When you say something is in vain, you are saying that its very purpose and its motive has been thwarted. Listen, church, one of Satan's greatest tools is to make you think that God should be serving you. He should be blessing you and giving you an easy life because of everything that you've done for him or are doing for him. In fact, your blessing becomes your motive. You choose to become a Christian because you think for some reason this will pay off. Now, a lot of people become Christians because we don't want to go to hell, right? We want to go to heaven. And that's a good motivation, right? In fact, some of the baptisms that we will have today might even indicate some of that. But listen, you got to be careful that Satan does not trick you into a temptation to follow God because of what you can get out of it. Because see, then when life gets hard and it's not working, then when we think God is not working the way that we should, it, it puts us in this downward spiral that leaves us depressed and doubting that whether or not following Christ makes any difference. And we begin to live with this doubt in our lives that, God, I've been praying to you and it's not working. God, I've been following you and I'm not getting blessed by you. So maybe this is not true after all. See, there's a lot of people today that still doubt whether Christianity makes any difference. Does it make any difference being a Christian? Because I know Christians' lives are hard too. So why be a Christian? Why go through all of this? Why, why, why do I give my life to Christ if it's still going to be hard? What's the benefit? And we have to be careful that we don't fall into that temptation. Now, how do we work through these battles in our lives? For that matter, how do we resist all of these temptations? Now, the temptations that I that I drew from this text this morning, comparing yourself to other people and the temptation to believe that God should be blessing you or serving you are ones that we don't often think of. There's other sins that are a little bit more obvious, right? But these are just as real. Now, how do we work through some of these struggles? Well, Asaph says in verse 16, he goes, when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. Why is my life so hard? Why is my life such a struggle? Man, I've been doing all the right things and I've been trusting in God and I've been, been doing this Christian thing. In fact, he even says, I kept my heart pure, but it's still hard. And he says, when I tried to understand this, it troubled me deeply, but then he got an answer. And here's what I want to leave with us this morning. This answer is true for every single one of us. In verse 17, he says this, I do not, I did not understand until... Watch this, until I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood. Now, all commentators on this passage say this is a turnaround verse in the text. This is a turnaround for the light in the life of Asaph. And I'm telling you, it's the turnaround that can come to your life as well. Let me explain. Just a little grammatical note before I get into this. But before verse, 13, before verse 17, God is spoken of in the third person. It's, it's just God. God's out there somewhere. Surely God, he says. How would God know? Uh, the sanctuary of God. That's third person grammatical language. But after verse 17, God is spoken of in the first person. God, now I understand. Right, he went into the sanctuary and all of a sudden God became this first person. Now he says, you, 
You place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. You will despise all their dreams as fantasies. Yes, yet, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. You will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? This turnaround came because he entered the sanctuary of God. And I want to suggest to you this morning, and this is even a message to myself, that the turnaround in your life will always, always occur in the sanctuary of God. I don't know if anyone here needs a turnaround. Maybe your life is at a place right now where you just don't understand why things are happening to you. You're going through some difficult times right now and life is hard for you and you just don't understand and you're looking for a turnaround. You're looking for something new. I'm telling you, it will happen in the sanctuary. Let me explain what that sanctuary is. Occasionally there are people that like this, this room in a church, this room is called the sanctuary, right? When you come in those doors out there, in fact, there's big letters right across those doors that say sanctuary. Well, does your life change just because you came in here? Occasionally people stop by the church and they come into the office and say, would it be okay if I just spent some time in the sanctuary? If no one's here, absolutely. You're welcome to come to the sanctuary anytime. In fact, maybe just sitting in this room recalls a memory. Maybe it is uh, recalling an experience that you had with God, a place where you met God or an association. Well, listen, this is not just about entering a building, but it's about participation in a full range of prayer that we know of as the Lord's Prayer. See, when Asaph entered the temple, he would have gone into the temple of worship at Jerusalem, and he would have gone through the whole range of prayer. There was praise, there would have been singing, there was confession, there was communion, there's hearing the word of the Lord, maybe there was even dedications, maybe even some baptisms that were taking place. Now let me unpack this a little bit more. When we fully engage our hearts and our minds in the act of worship, that's when we enter the sanctuary. It's coming into the presence of God. And we're recognizing that, God, my life is out of control. My life is not working. I need to come in and I need to connect with you. It's recognizing that there is a God and that it's worshiping, worshiping him through a full range of prayer. And it's when we stop questioning God about why things happen to me and we deal with God and say, how should I be responding to all these things that are happening in my life? All these hard things. Listen, you cannot sing a mighty fortress is our God and come away feeling like your life and this world is out of control because it's not. You can't sing no longer slaves and still, and still feel trapped in your fears. Because God takes away those fears, he trades those fears for his presence. So whether you come into the sanctuary in a public gathering like this, or whether the sanctuary for you is just a very private moment, maybe right in your home, maybe while you're driving your car somewhere, but you come to this place where you say, God, I need you in my life. This life is not working. I can't control my life anymore. The circumstances around me, everything is unraveling. Every morning is punishment. That's what Asaph said. He felt like every morning that he got up, every day that he faced was like a punishment to him. You don't need to live that way. 
You don't need to live that way because there's a sanctuary where God changes all of that. All of that. And that's what Asaph discovered. When he went and he spent some time in the sanctuary and just worshiped God and fully engaged his mind and heart and who God was, it completely changed his life. See, the Lord's Prayer is not just something that we're taught to memorize and recite. No, the Lord's Prayer is actually a model. It's a great way for you to pray. A couple of weeks ago when Pastor Dan did his sermon, he talked about the ACTS acronym, A-C-T-S. Right, when we come before the Lord, we begin with adoration. See, that's when we say, Father, Father, I need you. Man, I'm just a child, and I'm going down this icy sidewalk, and man, my feet are slipping, and my, uh, you know, I, I, I need something to hold on to, because my life just seems out of control. I need something to hold on to, so we come before him, and we say, God, I recognize that you are much greater than I am. And I want to hold on to you. We adore him for who he is. We confess, perhaps, our failures. We confess that we've been trying to do life on our own and it's not working. Right? That's the C. And then T is, is the thanksgiving. We say, thank you, God, again, for allowing, uh, for, for, for picking us up. For being a father who, who, by his very nature, will reach down and take our hand and pick us up when we fall. And will hold firmly to us. And then the S is that supplication where we just, you know, maybe pray for ourselves and and pray for each other. A great way to kind of package the Lord's Prayer. But see, we come to him and we say, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Awesome God. Give us this day our daily bread. We have needs every single day, every day. God, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us for our sins. And then lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Listen. When you come to the sanctuary of a public gathering or you enter the sanctuary of a private time with God, the Lord's Prayer is a model of a full-range prayer that brings God from a third-person existence to a first-person reality in your life. No longer is God just somebody that's out there somewhere. No longer is God just a creator of the universe. No longer is God just something that we, we call to when we're in trouble, but God, that distant God, now becomes close and personal. And he becomes someone that becomes a companion to us, that we live with and walk with every single day of our lives. And it's only when you're lost in the wonder and the love of God that you will be able to stand against the temptations and the evil that come at us. I shared this last night, but Penny is, is my wife. Now, I could just say that, okay, that's just who she is. She's my wife. Yes, I married her. I can look at my marriage certificate. I can be reminded of that date, January 21st, 1984, when she became my wife, right? She's my wife. I could introduce people uh, to her. uh, I could introduce her as my wife. But just the fact that she is my wife does not necessarily keep me from the temptation of adultery. But you know what does? What keeps me from going into uh, adultery or having an affair is the very fact that I love her so much that I couldn't stand the thought of breaking her heart or hurting her. My question is, do you love God that much? Or is God just someone that's distant? Or is he so close to you? Are you so in love with God that you can't stand the thought of breaking his heart? And when you are so in love with this God, that's what keeps you from temptation. 
That's what keeps you from moving into a place that would just absolutely break the heart of God or hurt him. I don't know where you're at in your walk with the Lord today. I don't know if God is real to you or if God is distant to you. Maybe God is far away. Maybe he's a third person existence to you. But I, I want you to know that he can become a first person reality. You, you, can just, you can just spend this time and say, God, I don't want you to be distant. I want you to be close to me. I need you. I need to hold your hand, grip your hand, because my life is too hard. And that's what Asaph realized. There's a total change that occurs between verses 1 to 16 and verses 17 to 8 at 28. So this is the whole psalm. Let me just briefly end with this. The first part, Aphus was envious of all the people around him. He's looking at everybody else and he's like, man, they have a good life. Everything is going good for them. They look great. They're prosperous. They have wealth and everybody else's life is good, but mine is hard. After his time in the sanctuary, he said, earth, everything that's out there has nothing that I desire. In fact, he says, all I need is you. All I want is you. In the first part, he said, I almost slipped and I almost lost my foothold. After his time in the sanctuary, he declares, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I want you to notice the difference that happens when you enter the sanctuary. Something changes. Something changes when you engage with God, when you connect with God. It's a change that we all need. It's a step that we all need to take. With people being baptized and giving their testimonies, it's a step that they've all taken. At one point in their lives, they had this experience with God that changed their lives. And no longer do you wake up every morning feeling like this day's a punishment, but you wake up every morning with a delight to live this day for God and with God because it changes. Again, I'm not sure where you're at this morning, but here's what happens. When you enter the sanctuary, Satan trembles. Satan trembles because he knows he lost. He knows he lost. If you stay out of the sanctuary, you try to live life on your own, man, Satan's got you right where he wants you. He's smiling. He's grinning because he knows he's going to win sooner or later. But you enter the sanctuary of God, it destroys Satan. By the way, he's a loser. He's a loser. He's already lost. God has already gained the victory over him. And that's why in, in, in 1 Corinthians it says, God will never lead you into a temptation where he has not provided a way out. But I want you to know it's not you providing the way out, but it's God. You've got to meet with God. And when you meet with God, everything changes. Let's pray together. God, I don't, I don't know where anyone is this morning in their lives right now, whether they're waking up in the morning feeling defeated or feeling victorious. I don't know what temptations everyone is facing here this morning, but I know that we're all facing them because it's just a reality. In fact, the Bible makes it very clear that temptation is common to all mankind. We live in a world where Satan is out to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to break us down. He wants, to, he wants us to live lives that are just kind of, kind of at, a, at a place of desperation. 
But in the midst of all that, we get a glimpse this morning in the sanctuary of a God who wants more than that for our lives. A God who's a turnaround God, a God who can take us from where we are and bring us into something completely different. God, I'm so grateful that we have opportunities to just meet with you, whether it's in a sanctuary with a group of people like we are this morning, or whether it's a sanctuary of just a private moment where we pour out our hearts and we simply say, God, I need you. Man, I just slipped and I fell again. I need you. And we reach up our hand and we grip his and say, Father, keep me from slipping again. Hold my hand. God, we're so grateful that your word says you are faithful and you will do exactly, exactly what we ask for you when we come to you pleading as children to our heavenly father. God, thanks you for being a father and, 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 and thank you for, for just the victory that we have in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you join us for the next message in our Teach Us to Pray series. Connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at grandpoint.church, and until next time, remember that you belong here.